Uh, welcome everybody again to the Carolina Bible Good Bible Study Voice Room this morning. The date stamp for today is uh, 9:25:22. Uh, getting on down through September, and third, fourth quarter, third quarter's about gone. Fourth quarter's coming up, so uh, everybody be mindful of that. And uh, the uh, study number for today is study number 60. Uh, as we um, as we get going, thanks, Chip. I'm, I always forget that. I get uh, get ahead of myself. Is that better? Everybody hear me okay now? I have a very directional mic. When I bought it, I thought it was an omnidirectional mic, but uh, it turns out it it definitely has a favored direction, as Chip has reminded me so often, uh, which I appreciate because I want the I want the recording to be as um, legible as it can be. Uh, today, as I said, is going to be study number sixty in our in our series called Angels and Giants: Fact or Fiction, and uh, as uh, I've been reminding you, the purpose of this study. Uh, this whole series is to investigate the angels and giants mentioned in Scripture and by doing so uh, alleviate some of the confusion that some Scripture verses seem to create. And uh, that's always been uh, the case for me. And, you know, there are some verses that we run run across and you're, you just don't seem to have a, a good handle on it right at that moment. But careful prayer, careful study, and uh, dwelling on it and thinking about it and praying about it and allowing the Spirit to work and reveal. Um, and the Lord will reveal to you that which, uh, which He wants you to see. I do believe that. I believe that with all my heart. And I believe if you earnestly want to see and uh, study and uh, continue to dig, that the Lord will reveal it, reveal it to you. So that's my personal stand on that. Uh, for our last study last week, uh, we reviewed the angels and, and the spirit beings that are mentioned and dealt with in Revelation chapter 11. Uh, and, and I believe all these were relating to the second of the three woes uh, that we read about in Revelation. The, the woes are, uh, there's three of them are covered in, uh, in the chapters that we've been going through here. Uh, so for today's study, I want to keep moving on through the Revelation by Looking at the angelic interface in Revelation chapter 12, and as I warned you last week, Revelation chapter 12 is intense. So we're not going to get very far, uh, I don't think, in this today. If we get all the way through chapter 12, I think we can probably count ourselves not only lucky, but uh, we can count ourselves uh, assured that we probably left something out because there is a there is a lot of uh, a lot of symbolism. Uh, and it's basically rewinding some in history. And in dealing with angels and spirit beings, uh, that's pretty much what chapter 12 is about. So you can't leave it out. And I, I don't think we would be doing ourselves or the scripture justice by skipping this in any means. So it's, um, it's one of those, one of those chapters that it's going to take a little time, but I think we need to, to deal with it. Now I want to remind you that as I said last week in my closing statements of the study number 59, my personal belief is that Revelation chapter 12 through 15 is a parenthetical insertion in the entire book of the Revelation. Because if you read through the end of chapter 11 and then skip over and pick up at the very beginning of chapter 16, it's as if you didn't miss anything. So 
everybody knows what a parenthesis is. It's a, a parenthetical insertion is, is a, a set of words that are inserted into a sentence to give extra meaning or extra clarification to something that was said, but it doesn't really go with the sentence. For a true parenthetical insertion, if you take those words out of the sentence in the English language, uh, if you take all the parentheses, the whole parentheses out of the sentence, the sentence should make sense by itself. And that's the way a true parenthetical insertion should be if you're looking at it. And, and to use that as an analogy here in the book of the Revelation, I believe that that's exactly what we have happening here with, uh, let me turn my, turn my beeper off. I don't know, uh, Oh, I see a note from Barney that Barney will not be teaching this morning. So uh, I appreciate him letting me know that. So it uh, doesn't appear there will be a uh, an Arizona study this morning. So my appreciation to Barney for letting me know that. But uh, like I said, a parenthetical insertion should be able to come completely out of the sentence and you can close the sentence back together uh, and it still make perfect sense. So... It's just given. Uh, yeah, I guess I do have extra time. So that's just given to give extra clarity to something that's already been said uh, within the, the scripture up to that point. So turn with me, if you would, this morning to Revelation chapter twelve. Um, that's where I want to. That's where we want to begin this morning. I'm going to try to, as I said, we're going to try to cover the entire chapter. Um, but I want you to note the angelic beings mentioned in this chapter and their relations with the earthly beings. So there's a there's a lot going on when we when we begin. And it's kind of a history lesson. Uh, and it refers, I believe, to the Maseroth uh, in the first few verses. So as we read, um, we'll be making some reference back to that um, and giving you some things to think about uh, with regard to that. So it, um, in Revelation 12, 1, and as I say, it's kind of an interruption in the, in the contiguous revelation that we had up to the end of chapter 11. So 12, 1 says, and there appeared a great wonder in heaven. Well, in the companion Bible, if you look at the note there on 12, 1, that literally should read, and a great sign was seen in heaven. Uh, and John just immediately, hey, I, I see something in heaven. Remember, John is our guy on the ground, so to say, there in in the Lord's day, because remember he says in Revelation 1, he came to be in the Spirit on the Lord's day. And he's seen all these visions, and he was given all these um all these visions and prophecies of things that were, as he said, shortly to come to pass. Uh, but we know that as of the setting aside of Israel, at the end of Acts 28.28, that all these things are basically on hold, or what, what the scripture calls uh, in abeyance. They're, they're, held in, they're held in abeyance uh, until the clock be plugged back in, and then all these things uh, come to fruition. Uh, the fact that something is put on hold in no way means that it's not eventually going to be fulfilled. Remember, if God says it, it's yea and amen. But God can put a stay 
on that which he has pronounced, and he can push the timing out if it works out according to his plan and his purpose, which in this case it did. And the plan and purpose for the church, the body of the Lord Jesus Christ, that was revealed by the Apostle Paul after Acts 28.28, that plan is what was in God's plan and purpose. That, as Paul says, was hid in God from ages and generations past. Nobody knew about it, Paul said, until I'm revealing it to you here. And the things, the events and the conditions noted in Ephesians and Colossians with regard to this uh, this body of Christ are what we, is what we're under now. But that by no means uh, precludes that that has already been spoken as prophetic as occurring in the latter days at the last times according to the book of Revelation. So uh, just wanted to get that clear in there. So it says, and there appeared a great wonder in heaven, or and a great sign was seen in heaven. Now, this occurs, this sign occurs, I believe, in what I call the second heaven, where the sun, the moon, and the stars reside. Actually, it's outer space, if you want to get down to terms that we call it today. Let me clarify for you. Everything within our atmosphere, I believe, on the earth is the way the scripture goes. I believe the, the, oftentimes that's called the sky. But oftentimes the sky also refers to the heavens. So you gotta be careful and you gotta do your own study. But from my study, I'll tell you my conclusion and you can take this or leave this and you can, uh, as Paul says, uh, consider what I say and the Lord give the understanding. But I believe the first heaven to be the our atmosphere, the ark where the birds fly, where living, where that which is alive takes place on the earth within within the scope of our atmosphere to the edge of the air that we exist in as breathers. That's the first heaven. The second heaven, I believe, begins where our air ends, and it goes to the edge of the great deep that's frozen. That's the second heaven. That's where the galaxies reside. That's where the sun, the moon, the stars reside. That space is so big, uh, according to the plan of God, that it contains man. It contains sin within its grasp. And all is sealed up. Heavens are closed right now. And then the third heaven is the throne room of God. That's what we've been reading about here that John is literally the witness of as he's been going through these prophetic things that are to happen later that he's revealing to us in the Revelation. That's the throne room of God. Remember the 24 elders around the throne? Uh, the four uh, living creatures or beasts as they're referred to in the English that are around God's throne. It's the place where literally God's throne is. Uh, and I hear Mike oftentimes refer to this as the upon heavens. And I believe it's called that because the heavens where God are, or where God is, literally sits on other heavens. So it's upon heavens. But it's not the second heaven. It's literally the third heaven. And God has separated himself currently 
from the sinfulness of his creation because it's tainted right now. It's very tainted. We live in a sinful world, a sinful society, and everywhere we look, we just see death and degradation. It's, it's a, it's a, it's dirty. It's polluted. It's corrupted. And God has placed that icy barrier between himself and his heavens and that heavens. You remember back in Luke chapter 10, I believe it is, the Lord himself, Jesus, told the disciples that I, or he told Peter that I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. So he was cast out of the third heaven where he had the opportunity to stroll up and down, as it says in Ezekiel 28, in the midst of the stones of fire of God, whatever that is, in that heavens. Satan had, he could be there just as quickly as anybody else could. But there came a time. And, and all this is relative to this, these first few verses here in chapter 12, because we're going to get a roll back in history. I believe as we begin Revelation 12, and you can believe this or agree or disagree. It, it, it doesn't, you know, it's not a big deal either way, but we can discuss it. And I'm always open to questions about it. And I'm open to having uh, the things that I say questioned. It's not, it's not a big problem. But I'm just, all I can tell you is what the spirit I feel is revealed to me and how I see it. And, and you know, your agreement is, is based on your, it should be based on your study. Shouldn't be based on what Ronnie's done. I'm merely pointing some things out maybe to, to get your brain working, get you questioning this or questioning that. I think we should always be looking, even as Nick's doing right now with a friend of his, this, uh, these, these things that this Harold Everly is putting out. Uh, Nick has gone through and he's decided that a lot of it doesn't make scriptural sense. And that's what true study is. I, I applaud Nick for doing that. Looking at things that you know you may not agree with sometimes aren't really aren't really pleasant, but I believe we got to do it anyway because you need to know both sides of the equation, and we need to know what's out there and what's being put forth as, as true doctrine, and that way we can weigh it against what we know to, in, in the scripture to be true, and to see if we think it's true doctrine or not. So. That's um, that's kind of the whole thing in a nutshell there. But anyway, appeared a great wonder in heaven. And so this this heaven is in the second heaven, I do believe. And it says, A woman clothed with the sun, the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of twelve stars. And the note in the companion Bible says about these twelve stars that these are probably... The zodiacal signs, the signs of the zodiac, representing the Israel nation in embryo. The message of the woman who would bring forth the twelve sons of Israel is written in the stars, in the Maseroth. There is a whole study to be done. We've got several books at TFT that deals with the message in the stars, the witness of the stars. Uh, the witness of the stars is referred to by the Apostle Paul several times in the scripture even. The stars also tell forth the story of the coming Redeemer and the, the story 
of what took place with his crucifixion uh, and with the future events that unfold. So that's why I wanted to bring that into this because I believe that's what we're looking at in representation here. Well, the woman uh, or uh, a child being born to Israel was, uh, I think, a little more graphic than uh, other things because uh, they had... uh, they had all these things that God had given to these prophets tell them that one was coming that was going to be the Redeemer. And I think, you know, this woman here represents Israel as looking as a baby right. that they was expecting but never did accept. Yeah, and if you get right down to it, the bulk of Scripture is about this nation of Israel, their history, their kings, uh, their beliefs and disbeliefs, and all that they went through coming down to the birth of that Redeemer that you're talking about. I mean, that's what the Scripture all is. All the promises. Yeah, was all the promises. Exactly. The prophets, the, the Scriptures, the law, the giving of the law, the commandments, all the promises, all that was given to Israel. So it's all centered, and, and the book of Revelation is no different. It's all still centered in Israel. And it says that woman is clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet. Well, I believe if you look, the woman in the in the Maseroth literally should have the sun positioned, um, uh, what does it say, with, uh, clothed with the sun and the moon being under her feet at times. In the stars. I mean, in the heavens as we look at it. And upon her head is a crown of 12 stars, which is probably stars that are in the constellations as well. Now, and like I said, I'm not getting into all the heavy details of this, but I believe this to be a representation of the nation of Israel in embryo form here. And there are 12 signs. And the 12 signs that go along with them. You're right. It says, verse 2, now that, incidentally, that word appeared there. And this is John's perspective on this. Appeared is the, the Greek form autonomy. Optonomy is where we get our optometrist word from, the same root here. And it means to gaze at something remarkable. Or voluntary observation with the eyes. So that's what John was doing. This thing was so... It was such a, a wonderful sign that he couldn't take his eyes off of it. He's kind of standing there like he's watching a movie. You've seen kids get engrossed in a TV show, and you can wave your hand in front of their face, and you can't even get their attention. Well, and that's kind of what's going on here with John is he's watching he all this. With this yeah, he's he's kind of blown away by what he's seeing, and that's what up up. Uh, what is the word? I'm sorry, autonomy. What's what it means? It means to gaze at, to gaze at something remarkably, and that's that's what he's doing. So that's what a, that's what appeared means there, in verse one. So it says in verse two, and she, this is the woman now, being with child, cried, or crieth out, as it says in the companion Bible, travailing in birth, and pain to be delivered. Lots of pain. 
Lots of travail going on here with this nation. And I believe the history, the history back to Genesis of this nation bears this out. All the way back to, to uh, Abraham and uh, Isaac and Jacob and Jacob's 12 sons. In the history of Israel down through the Old Testament, man, if that ain't pain and travail, all the wars, all the things that those nations went through, it's unbelievable. So she being with child cried, travailing in birth, and pain to be delivered. Put that on hold. What you doing? Everything about the woman, put it on hold for a second. Because we've got to talk about another side that appears in heaven. Same word. And there appeared, autonomy again, something else that John had to behold with great remarkability. There appeared another wonder in heaven. Same heaven. And behold, a great red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his head. Now this is the word dracon. This dragon is the, is the Greek form dracon. And it means a fabulous or wondrous servant. Or serpent, I'm sorry. You, this is used of Satan. The serpent, this uh, dragon, this word dracon, is used of Satan. And we'll find, as we go down through the um, the verses here, uh, in verse 9, it says, And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent, called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. See, it becomes pretty clear as we go down through here who this great dragon is. And incidentally, that word dracon is used 13 times, I believe, in the Revelation. 13 being an interesting number. If uh, if you're into Appendix 10 and, and the usages of the spiritual significance of numbers, something else for you to study out there as we look at verse 3. There appeared another wonder in heaven, another simeon, a sign. Another great wondrous sign appears in heaven. And the sign that appeared, it says, Behold, a great red dragon, who we know to be Satan, having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns uh, upon his head. The seven heads, uh, these are signs, it says in the Companion Bible, of universality of earthly power. Because in the end times, he will bring together all the earthly power of all the nations that are left. It's the one world order that the world keeps pushing for today. And there are powers that be out there that are pushing every day to see that this happens. And it's going to happen. Eventually it's going to happen. Doesn't mean that folks who understand have to buy into it and help it along, but eventually guess what? It's going to happen. So he has seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his head. It represents the universality of evil of this dragon and the, the power that he has. Verse 4. Now this is interesting. And I've, I've read you and gave you my opinion on this before. But this is one of those instances where if you don't look at the Greek, and understand what's going on here, you're going to miss something. And his tail, his tail being the 
the tail of the dragon as he is uh, as he is being cast out of heaven, as the Lord says, I believe in uh, in Luke chapter ten, and it says, and his tail, the dragon's tail, drew. And the word drew here, I don't want you to miss this. The word drew is the Greek form sura. And it means to drag or to draw or to hail normally against the will of whatever's being dragged. I'll give you an instance. If you look at John 21.8 where it says the um, there was a, a net full of fishes that are being uh, pulled behind the boat. And, and Tony's posted it here. It says, And the other disciples came in a little ship, for they were not far from the land, but as it were 200 cubics, dragging the net with fishes. Same word, suro. So the tail of this serpent drags or pulls or hails or draws to pull to himself the third part of the stars of heaven, and it says, as Tony's got noted here, and he did cast them to the earth. So get this in your mind. As Ezekiel 28 is playing out, Satan has sinned. God has called him on it. The five wheels of Isaiah 14 have been pronounced. Satan has made it perfectly clear to the creator of the universe what his intentions are. I want to be the son of God. I don't want to be subject to you. I want to be the son of God myself. I'm beautiful enough to have that position. By reason it says of his own brightness. And as he's being cast out, it's the scripture says that his tail drew a third part of the stars, which are often which that word is often used symbolically for the angels of heaven. So his tail drew a third part of the stars or the angels of heaven, and he cast them to the land, the gi, on the earth. Oh, so if he draws them, and he cast them to the earth, guess who they report to now? Is this in God's plan? Evidently it was. Did God know what was going on there? Evidently he did. Do you think he gave the angels the ability to have free will as he does people? Seems to be God's mantra. And it doesn't matter which realm of creation that you're referring to. Our God, the creator God, doesn't seem to me, from what I read in scripture, to be a God that forces his love and acceptance on anybody. Now, there may be ramifications if they don't, but they're still free to choose. Do you think for one minute that Satan doesn't know what the scripture says about his demise someday? Do you think that's true? Do you think for one minute Satan doesn't understand what his end's going to be according to the word? Why do you think he fights so hard to thwart the one who enforces the word? But d does it stop him one iota? Well, evidently not. Nor does it stop the angels that he has control over.
But I believe these angels that have control were either deceived and deceptively chose to serve him, or he just took them prisoner and made them do it. I'm not sure which. Not really sure the scripture even says, to be honest with you. But the scripture does say that he took them. He dragged them as if they were a net full of fish when he was cast, I believe, out of the heavens. And he put them where? Right here on the earth, where we are. Do you think they're still here? Now, do you see why Ronnie thinks we have angels among us, but not the good ones? The good ones are still there with the God creator in the heavens. They never left. They were not dragged out. They interact with mankind as God allowed down through the history of the scripture several times. Remember the two that came and dealt with Sodom and Gomorrah? Occasionally the good angels of God are allowed out and they come to do according to God's bidding. But these are not the third part that were dragged out as a net full of fishes. And you can agree with that or you can disagree with that. But it seems to make a lot of sense to me. All right? So his tail drew the third part of the angels or the stars of heaven, and he cast them to the earth. He cast them as if they were his to do with as he pleased. doesn't say that he asked them if they would go to the earth. He just put them there. He threw them there. Forced them there, evidently, from the way the scripture is written. That gives you the better picture of the swine. Yeah. That uh, you got to cast the demons into because the questions they asked was, are you here before the time? Exactly. Well, do you think, is anybody listening think Christ was standing there talking to himself? Uh, Who's he talking to? They said, suffer us not to go back into the deep. They didn't want to go back into the water or into the ice, wherever they were contained. Don't do that to us. And the Lord suffered them. And remember, they came out and went into the pigs. You think Christ was talking to himself? No. He was talking to these beings who have been here from the day that they were dragged from their original location and relocated on the earth. They've been here from that day. Always been here. And they still, I believe, work in the hearts and minds of men to bring about Satan's plan. Because guess what? Just like God has a plan, Satan's got a plan. He is very well organized. Well, they they have become his servants just like Man made servants out of other people. Exactly. And just like the angels of God who are in the heavens are the servant of the Most High. Yeah. The Remember the four beasts around the throne? Remember the 24 elders? All these are created beings. They're not, yeah. they're not gods. They're created beings. But they hold their position and they do their job because they have chosen, I believe, to do so according to God and God's plan. You see, you kind of see where all this, how it all fits into his, his perfect will and purpose. It says in, uh, so he, he drew the stars of heaven, he cast them to the earth. Full stop, his dad says, with a colon there. 
And the dragon stood before the woman which was ready to be delivered for to devour. Interesting word. Devour. For to devour her child. Well, who do you think the child is? The child of the woman Israel is out of the tribe of Judah. The lion of Judah. But Satan stood ready to devour the child as soon as it was born. Satan from the very beginning in Genesis 3.15 when God put the enmity between the, the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent and Satan knew that the seed of the woman would crush his head, his job from that day forward has somehow been to devour this child. Either cut him off from ever being born or to kill him after he was. And guess what? You remember what Scripture says about... Um, who was it that betrayed the Lord? Name escapes me. Judas. Judas. You remember what the scripture said? It said, and Satan entered into him when he was about to betray the Lord. Or one of these demons. Well, it specifically says Satan. Okay, well. Now, whether he's allowed by occasion to come to the earth or not, it seems like he is. But I want you to bear in mind that Satan's primary residence seems to be the second heaven, outer space. Why? Let me tell you. I'll, I'll tell you why I think that's the fact. There is a war going on there even as we speak right now. It's been going on for eons. And it goes on even today between the forces of God and the forces of Satan. Turn with me back to Daniel chapter 10. I want to read you something that sometimes goes kind of unnoticed. Daniel chapter 10. So that you'll know kind of what I'm talking about here. Daniel chapter 10. I'm going to read... Um, well, let's just start at one. It says, In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a thing was revealed unto Daniel, whose name was called Belshazzar. And the thing was true, but the time appointed was long, and he understood the thing and had an understanding of the vision. In those days I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks. Verse 2. Verse 3. He says, I ate no pleasant bread, neither came flesh nor wine in my mouth neither did I anoint myself at all till three whole weeks were fulfilled wow he is weak he's in a weakened state it says in the four and twentieth day the twenty fourth day of the first month as I was by the side of the great river which is Hedekel he said then I lifted up my eyes and looked and behold a certain man clothed in linen whose loins were girded with fine gold of Uphaz. His body also was like the burl, and his face was as the appearance of lightning, and his eyes as lamps of fire, and his arms and his feet like in color were polished brass, and the voice of his words like the voice of a multitude. Have you ever met anybody like this? Daniel did. Daniel is looking at an angel. 
an angelic being. Well, you think there's not a lot of angels and angelic mentioned in the scripture? All you got to do is look a little bit. Yeah. And I, Daniel, verse 7, alone saw the vision. For the men that were with me saw not the vision, but a great quaking fell upon them so that they fled to hide themselves. Sounds kind of like what happened to Paul. Remember, Paul said, I saw the vision, but the men around me couldn't see any of that. Interesting. He said in verse 8, Therefore I was left alone after they all ran off and saw this great vision, and there remained no strength in me. For my comeliness was turned in me into corruption, and I retained no strength. He probably just fell down where he was. Yet heard I the voice of his words. And when I heard the voice of his words, then was I in a deep sleep on my face and my face toward the ground. Sounds a lot like what happens very frequently when these visions occur to different men. Remember Peter on the roof. He hadn't eaten eaten anything. And he said he became in a trance. And he saw these things. He said in verse 10, Behold, a hand touched me which set me upon my knees and upon the palms of my hands. So he's like in a prone position on his hands and knees, as we say. And the angel literally stood him up and put him in that position. He wasn't going to talk to him with him face down, because he wanted Daniel to hear and understand what he was about to tell him. Man, this is interesting. I don't know about you guys, but it, it really gets me. And he said unto me, O Daniel... A man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak unto thee, and stand upright, for unto thee am I now sent. You see that? I did not come of my own accord. Unto you, Daniel, am I sent. You see that? Very important. God allows the holy angels access to our realm as it fits his purpose. Let's read on. And Daniel said, And when he had spoken this word unto me, I stood trembling. He found the strength to stand there, but he was shaken. Then said he, verse 12, unto me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that thou didst set thine heart to understand and to chasten thyself before thy God, thy words were heard. And I am come... For or because of thy words. God heard your prayer, Daniel. And that's the whole reason that I'm standing here before you. Listen to this, verse 13. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me. Time out. You ever seen this? A lot of you have. Maybe some of you haven't. I need more information. God sends an angel to talk to Daniel, but this angel is delayed and held up by another being that the scripture, that the angel refers to as the prince of the kingdom of Persia who obviously is a representative angel in the heavens of another kingdom that is not so fond of God's kingdom. 
Are you seeing this with me? This happened hundreds of years ago, centuries ago, in Daniel's day. Well, what did it say when he when, when he revealed the five wills? Wasn't he the king of something at that? Well, in Ezekiel twenty-eight, uh, the king of Persia is compared to the prince of Persia, I believe. If I'm, and Tony Mike can post that. It'd be, it'd be uh, Ezekiel 28, maybe verse 12 or 13. Uh, because talking about the prince of uh, Persia reminds God of the king, of something that the king of Persia did, which is representative of Satan. Because the things that happen at the end of the 28th chapter of the book of Ezekiel in no way can apply to a man. I mean, it has to, um, yeah. Well, let's see. Son of man, king of Tyrus. It's not Persia, it's Tyrus. The prince of Tyrus is in the first 11 verses. Uh, and then the king of Tyrus is referenced in the later verses. And this is where it gets into talking of Satan. Well, so here we're... Also, the uh, another thing that struck me here was the angel coming from the great river. Well, we've already talked about how the Euphrates is... Yeah, something going on there. So that, that's... There's something in there that we have not seen yet and will not see until that day. But you're right. That, that is interesting. That he's right there, right there beside that river right Hedekel. Right yeah. there beside one of them. Uh, one of the rivers. That river. That's a very good point. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia, and I think Dad's dead on the money. This is a reference uh, to another powerful angel or a group of powerful angels referred to as the kingdom of Persia. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me, fought with me, prevented me from coming. Do you see that? You remember when I said earlier that that war in heaven? That's referred to in Revelation 12. It's been going on, I believe, for a very long time. Not a new thing. This angel says the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me one and twenty days. He fought with this thing for twenty-one solar days, evidently. And listen to this. But lo, Michael... One of the chief princes on God's side came to help me, and I remained there with the king of kings of Persia. Wow. This was such a delay that Michael the archangel stepped in to help this angel accomplish his mission, which was to come to earth and speak to Daniel. Okay, yeah, he's a real this blows my mind, y'all. He's the ruler of Israel. Michael is the one that standeth for the people. He stands for Israel. So evidently these these major rulers are patterned after rulers on the earth. That that kind of that kind of takes me back a bit. Yeah, or vice versa. That's a good point. So the angel says, and I'm going to read down through uh, 14 here. So the angel says, Now I am come 
to make thee understand what shall befall thy people in the latter days. For yet the vision is for many days. You see that? This angel had some knowledge that Daniel needed to have. Daniel was praying, Lord, how long? What is the result of all this? And how long is it going to be? What are the what are the times and the days that come with all this? And the angel's there. I just wanted to make sure you knew that there was a conflict. Because that angel was withstood by a member or by this prince of the kingdom of Persia himself. Or by one of his henchmen. As that war progresses... In space. Now, occasionally, we see things on the earth that are recorded with video that, to me, looks extremely difficult to explain away. You can't, some of it maybe can be explained away, but I've seen some that I'm like, I don't know how you would explain that other than, other than something miraculous. I mean, some of it looks bizarre. Well, I've heard something bizarre. Yeah. When we were up on the Oh, yeah. There, there are things on this earth that are a little beyond explanation. And I believe they're designed to distract us as a smoke screen and to pull our attention away from the Lord. But nonetheless, they're still here. And I believe that this war in heaven that rages occasionally can be viewed from our dimension. Now, you can agree with that or disagree with that. They're not little green men from another planet. Let me tell you where they're from. They were dragged out of heaven in the beginning when Satan was cast out. And the war goes on. The war still rages even as we exist today. The war is still there. Because as we go through Revelation and begin to read some of these things, I think you'll see what's going on. So let's go back. Let me go back to Revelation 12 right quick. Because I'm not going to, I'm not even going to get, I'm not even going to get finished with this if we stop at the normal time. But I do have a, maybe a few more minutes since Barney doesn't have a, a study going on. So we may be, we may go to at least get through what I got wrote down here. Let's go back to verse 4. His tail drew a third part of the stars of heaven cast into the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman which was ready to be delivered for to devour her child as soon as she, as it was born. And that's always been his purpose. And when Satan had him on the cross and killed him, when, when Christ gave up his life, because remember, he always said, I got the power to lay it down and I got the power to take it up again. So when Christ finally succumbed to the one that wanted to kill him, Paid the price. That was his choice. And that was by his allowance. But Satan in his arrogance. I <laughs> got him. He's dead like the rest of these puny humans. He's gone. He's done. Oh, but God had other plans. So it says in verse 5. And she brought forth a man child. Who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. Guess who that might be. Check Psalms 2.9. 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 Psalms 2.9.
That is a quote, I believe, from Psalms 2.9. She brought forth a man-child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. And as if you have any doubts about who this is, John rolls fast forward to the point where uh, her child, it says, was caught up unto God and to his throne. Christ, who only, Paul says in 1 Timothy 6, hath immortality. The Son is the only one, ladies and gentlemen, who has ascended into the heavens. Peter said very clearly of David in Acts chapter 3 that David is not ascended into the heavens. John says, No man hath ascended into heaven except the Son of Man that came down from heaven. I believe that's John 3.13. Everybody knows John 3.16. Not too many people want to talk about John 3.13. Nobody's gone to heaven, y'all. I heard a song this morning on the radio. I think we, when I changed over to listen to the ball game yesterday on the radio while I was getting ready to go down to Greenville, I put it on Greenville. So this morning I heard some of the old songs that you were talking about. And one of them was that I'm going to heaven. I remember the, the part of the words and the verses. I'm going to heaven. No, you're not, buddy. That pops in my mind every time. You're not going anywhere. Only one has ascended into heaven. And it says of this child, that her child, this child of Israel, this child of Judah, was caught up unto God and to his throne. We are reading in the book of Revelation where this one and only this one comes forth who has the power to open the seals that hold the book closed. Who do you think this is? Y'all, there's only one. There is only one Lord and Savior Christ Jesus who has this power. There is only one who has ascended into the heavens and has this power. And this, of course, speaks of the resurrection of Christ. When he took his own blood and handed it to the Father as a sacrifice fully acceptable of a sweet savor to God. That is the second time. Yep. Now the third time was when he went back up from the Mount of Olives. Three times. Yep. That's the stamp of God. Yep. The number stamp is all over it. There's only one, as Dad said, who's ascended into the heavens. So then we pick up in verse 6. We're back to the woman now. So the woman fled into the wilderness. Oh, wait a minute. Check Matthew 24, 16 on this one. Remember it talks about there shall be many that will flee into the wilderness. You have to keep bouncing back and forth between Daniel and Revelation if you're going to understand either one, I believe. And Matthew in some cases. It says the woman fled into the wilderness where she hath a place prepared of God. Now look, this is why I know that this is not the children being in the, going into the wilderness out of Egypt because 
it says of this time that the woman fled into the wilderness where she hath a place prepared of God that they should feed her there a thousand two hundred and three score. That's the twelve hundred and sixty days that's continually mentioned in Revelation. I believe it might also be mentioned in a couple of other scriptures, but I can't remember exactly where. Yeah. But this is a specific time that they're in the wilderness, according to the scripture, where they should feed her a place prepared of God, and God will sustain them for the 1260 days. And so another statement of fact in verse 7. And I think verse 7 is probably as far as we're going to get. But we'll get at least as far as verse 7 today. Because there's going to be plenty here to think about. Even if we only go to 7. And there was, it says in verse 7. I don't know if was or came to be is how it should really be rendered. And there came to be war in heaven. See, these events are not necessarily chronological. John's kind of putting it out as it's revealed and things that he sees, but I'm not so sure that it's in chronological order. It says there was war in heaven. I think probably some of those verses, maybe um, maybe 2 through 6 is another parenthetical insertion. You might want to consider that. There was war in heaven. Michael and his angel, I believe this heaven in verse 7 to be the second heaven, outer space. The war in heaven, Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought in his angels. So, Satan is in the second heaven. He is fighting, I think, as the angel in Daniel 10 um, is a witness of. I believe this to be the same war. And I don't believe it's ended yet. I believe it still persists to this day. Because we, a lot of people say, well, that was a devil in him when people do evil things. I believe it was a devil, very possibly. But let me tell you something. I don't believe it was the devil. I believe he's allowed to come here to the earth as God allows but I think God has only allowed it for very special occasions. When God spoke to Satan in the book of Job, it it almost says that Satan presented, you know, Satan came, it says, and his angels. Presented and presented themselves before God. Before God. Yeah. On one side of the ice, God on the other side with the ice in between them, quite likely. Or a hole made to where they could communicate, but nobody can go through it. Because guess what? God's still in control. And God quizzed Satan. He said, have you considered my servant, Job? Hey, I want to ask you something. I know you're busy. I'm playing a little ad-lib here. I probably shouldn't do it. But I want to ask you something. Have you considered my servant, Job? See, when God calls, they still have to answer. He is still God, creator of the universe. I know Satan works against that on a daily basis. 24-7, 365. But guess what? God still reigneth supreme. 
It's still his universe and his creation. And when he called them forth to ask him the question in Job, he had no choice but to appear. That's just like when the Lord cast out the demons. They said, we know you can do whatever you want, but don't suffer us to go into the deep. Put us in the swine. Guess what? They ended up in the deep anyway. They ended up in the water, which has some kind of control over spirit beings, over angelic beings. They were, they were out. They they were, they were out manned through the brain. Oh yeah, through their brain. Well, and and they're in they're standing before the one who created them. Yeah. So they've got no choice but to obey. He could have spoke the word and they would disappear from existence. God has that power. Yeah, it's like... It's not like us destroying something. We can't fully destroy anything. Yeah, exactly. The, the, the pot don't ask the potter, why did you make me like this? They knew they were outgunned. Yeah, they knew the... You gotta give them credit for having a little sense. They knew what they were up against. They're begging for mercy. Lord, don't put us in the water, put us in these pigs. Same thing here. There's the war in heaven. This war goes on. Always has. We've never lived a day, in my opinion, that this war hasn't been taking place. If you ask me. I don't see where it ever ended. I see where it's going to end. We're about to read about that. But we haven't gotten to the point to where Satan has come to the earth and brings great tribulation with him yet. We're not there yet. We're in a parenthesis of our own in time. Well, is all this beginning to? We 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 are in this war, but it it's not to the extent that this uh, that it's going to be this enmity that God put between the two individuals and and the woman there uh, is confined. Place in space. Oh think, yeah, and we're in the we're in the greatest space of grace that God has ever allowed to exist in His universe. If you ask me, right now, if you look at how turbulent it was before now, and how turbulent it's going to be after now, where would you rather live? Yeah. Tell me. I mean, it it's pretty clear to me. Let's finish this verse, and I'm done. There's war in heaven. Michael and his angels. Ah. Remember what the angel said in Daniel 10? That Michael came to help me? Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought in his angels. Wow. That's amazing. Absolutely amazing. So, cliffhanger. We're going to stop right here for today. I'm not going to, I'm not going to keep you too long. I've already, um, I've already uh, pulled you. Uh, I think some of them, Carolyn, I see your question there. I believe some of the angels that Satan pulled down with him are helping him in the second heaven, but certainly some of them have been thrown to earth as well. I believe he can divide and move them around as needed. I believe the angels that he brought with him, and this is another supposition of Ronnie, you can agree or disagree, I believe that the angels that were dragged out can be on the earth or in space. But right now, Satan is only allowed to go to the earth as it suits the plan of God. As it suits his purpose. Because we're going to see next week where he's cast out of the second heaven and comes down to the earth 
And woe be unto the earth and the inhabitants thereof. And I want you to get this. I want you to get this in um, in your head as to how these things take place. And that's a good point, Mike. Thank you. Adam lost dominion over the earth to Satan. That's a good point. Mike says, Wicked principalities and powers under the control of Satan have dominion over their uh, given areas on earth. Uh, the Prince of Tyrus, for example, I believe the word brings this forth, and I totally agree. So just some things to think about there. And uh, we will continue with this next week. I appreciate you being with us. Uh, thoroughly blessed by having all of you present. And I hope we've said some things that at least make you think. And uh, as always, don't take our word for it, uh, but search and see. And I try to be totally, totally open about uh, things that are my opinion. Uh, so that you guys will know. And, and I'm not uh, pushing agreement. I'm pushing study. So bow with us and we'll close. Father, once again, thank you for this privilege to sit before these that have come this way. Father, for uh, the time that we've had to go through yet another small portion of your word. Uh, Father, help us to glean and understand these things from your word, Father, as we go through it. And to piece this uh, piece this story together, Father, for ourselves, because we know that that is our faith, that by piecing these things together and searching the scriptures to see if these things be so, Father, that this is what defines our faith. Thank you for your Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for that man-child that was brought forth to rule with a rod of iron. Thank you for him and for his blood, and Father, most of all, for his love and his judgment. Father, for we know that it is righteous and it is perfect. Be with us. Continue to lead. God bless and keep us. And be with all those that need a touch from you, Father, today, as we mentioned earlier. Continue to help us grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And bless us in all that we endeavor to do in thy name. For it's in Christ's name today we humbly pray. Amen.